You're listening to Parenting Our Future with certified parent coach, Robin McMahon, author of The Yelling Cure and founder of Parenting for Connection. My podcast is all about providing you with the tools and solutions you need in your parenting so you can create the family you always wanted. Hey, everybody, it's Robin here. Welcome to Parenting Our Future. You know, I have some pretty awesome guests and I'm lucky enough to have some beautiful people that come into my awareness and uh, have some pretty amazing and magical skills. And today I am talking to Megan Fitzgerald and she is one of these people. I can't wait to tell you and for you to hear what she does. It is so cool. I'm so pumped and excited about what she does. So first and foremost, let me tell you about her. Uh, After 18 years as an educator, curriculum developer, and school leader, Megan has her dream gig. As an entrepreneur, educator, and mom who helps families everywhere, including hers, learn outside Prior to Tinkergarten, which is her baby and her dream gig, Megan worked as an elementary school principal, a math and science specialist, and a public teacher and private school teacher in New York, Massachusetts, and California. Now, she has a ton of educational experience and um, what is so cool about her though is in, in addition to all of her uh all of her learning that she did she was also trained as a forest school leader in bridgewater college in the uk i love that i didn't even know that was a thing so uh, megan has three kids they are all 10 and under so uh you know she's uh, she's kind of a rock star mom as well um but when she's with her kids, she is an unapologetic mom who loves to play along with them in the mud. She dances in the rain and she even knows how to build an igloo with her bare hands. So she is someone who I am so happy to introduce to you all. Welcome, Megan. Well, thanks, Robin. I'm really glad to be here. And I likewise love the work that you do and helping families to figure out how to work with children in ways that are really supportive of both themselves and the children. So, so needed always, but especially right now. So really, really glad to be here. Oh, thank you so much. Well, this is great. Now, I just said that your gig is Tinker Garden. What yes. is Tinker Garden? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So Tinker Garden, you can think of it as every family's guide to purposeful outdoor play. So really helping families just figure out how to use time outdoors during the early years to make the most of that really important time in their child's development. And we focus on babies through about eight to 10 years old in our work. So and, and working with families to both understand how their child is developing socially, emotionally, and cognitively, and then what role play, and especially play in the outdoors, which is really the ideal learning place for healthy, curious, capable kids, mm-hmm. um, and, and bringing families both the, the concepts and then the ideas to make that time outside, turn that into real learning for their kids. Yeah, that's great. And so... You're saying that outdoors is the place to be. It to is an ideal outdoors. learning environment for so many reasons. One, yeah. just for all of the affinity we have for the natural world and this combination between its calming effects and how stimulating it is. So when I was a classroom teacher, if you had told me I could do anything that would both calm my students and make 
put them on stimulated high alert for brain development, I would have stood on my head right? <laughs> on the yeah. desk, you know? Um, so nature does that naturally. It puts us in a really calming state. It allows everyone, no matter what age you are, to attend better to what's going on. Um, and it, it's just a huge open container with a lot of possibilities, a lot of objects we can use, and a lot of space for imagination, invention, messes, mm -hmm. all sorts of things that in the early years really help to develop critical skills for the long term. Mm -hmm. So, um, and so in just in general, a, a lifelong connection to the outdoors builds the habit of being outdoors more often, which you know really leads to healthier patterns for mind and body. And then also leads to stewardship and kind of caring for our planet, mm -hmm. which is something that's so important um, for our kids, especially their generation with what they're going to be facing. Um, it's going to be so critical to raise the next generation of people who, who really feel that connection and care for the earth. So all yeah, of those reasons brought us. And most of our work at Tinker Garden has been in finding and supporting thousands of amazing teachers. Um, uh, at leading our curriculum with families in their local communities and in-person classes. And we did that for 23 seasons um, wow. and still excited to do that again. But during this time, since we've really wanted to make sure that we're keeping, helping do our part to keep the spread of coronavirus down, we've, we've put on hold all of our in-person classes and have started to develop direct-to-parent content videos and, um, and now online classes starting this fall to, um, to help families continue to connect with others and learn about outdoor play. That's great. And so you're really unlike, you're, you're like everybody else mm -hmm. having to pivot, right? Absolutely. To, to do this. And so what you have done though is pretty incredible. You have a family playbook, which is a free resource for families to not just help them survive this time like we were in the springtime and, yep. and, and, and through the summer, really, just trying to figure out how do we do this, but let's look at the fall as a new season and let's thrive. This is right. what you're trying to help us do? Come yeah. on. <laughs> well, we, we, we have a really active community of teachers and families and you know, we've, we've done a lot of researching and listening and living. I mean, the whole Tinker Garden team, we're nearly all parents ourselves. So we've been contending with all that this time has asked us to step up and do and really listen to what the pieces putting, which pieces we could be putting in place that would allow us to move just slightly from being responsive and making it through the day to making each day feel better, feel like a chance to thrive. And, and this is a time when our kids are actually really good teachers. They're quite mm -hmm. adaptable and quite resilient. Mm -hmm. So sometimes a little framing helps us learn from them as well and soften our own expectations for ourselves so that we can be leaning into the things that are actually really great lessons about right now and letting right. go a little bit where it's just suffering <laughs> to try and be doing more than we could possibly do in this time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think what you're saying is also focusing on the things that are also true. Like, yes, we are living in a pandemic that we have never experienced in our lifetime before, but there are things that are also true, right? That, you know, you can also focus on. Um, and so with that, you have this playbook and you have it broken into different sections, which sure. are really good. So you have, and, and I want to sort of talk about each of these um, because sure. I think it's really important. 
setting up your day, um, you know, looking at what your kids really need. Um, what is what it, what does their body need sensory wise? You know, what about social? Um, how do we set our kids up? to safely socialize. Um, and so I'd like to kind of talk about each one of those. And so sure. let's start with starting with your day. How do you set your day up for success? Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I think what we're assuming here, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but we're kind of assuming that you, you have, you're in a situation where you're doing some, if not all online learning. Is that yeah, well, fair? we don't know, really. You we don't know. Doing anything. Um, and a, a lot, some of us are still, in, in the time we're talking, and hopefully by the time this airs, this won't be the case, but at least in parts of, of the United States where we are, we're still wondering what it's going to look like. And that's quite something to be experiencing as a parent. But at the end of the day, no matter what learning looks like for your children, your family needs a schedule and kids need to know what the day is going to look and feel like. And that couldn't be more true in the classroom. I mean, that, the classroom schedule is so important because it allows children to calm and know what to expect and focus mm -hmm. on what they're doing and what comes next. And kids need that to feel comfort. And when we can repeat things in a schedule, then kids, the transitions are easier. Kids know what to expect and it's familiar and mm -hmm. humans just do better with familiar rhythms in their life adults included. Yeah. So whether you have your children at home or you're trying to navigate the times before and after kids are somewhere else, especially if there's a lot of computer time involved, having a schedule is really, really supportive of everybody. And there are just some things to think about that make making schedules easier. Mm -hmm. So one idea is to think of time of day and when I was a teacher and I was making my schedule, I did everything I could to put certain kinds of things earlier in the day. And mm. kids can tend to come fresher. They've, mm. they're most, they're really able to attend to things in the morning in ways that sometimes in the afternoon they're not. So I would put things that might be more of an academic focus or that might require more cognitive load for kids in the morning. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one example. The middle of the day, a time to rest, a time to recoup, and then the afternoon, a time to play, put things into practice, um, move our bodies. And, and so thinking about the times of day can be really helpful. So we have some basic for different age groups kind of ideas around that. We also have ideas about how to build in play breaks because kids do mm. need to take breaks, especially if you are having children on a screen in order to access their education or their learning or connect with their teachers. It is important to move your body, to take a break, to play a little bit, to explore, to use your hands, to build. Um, and we have a whole series of play breaks that we'll send weekly to families that are sort of five minute ideas that could la lead to hours of play, but can also be simple little things that you can do with your kids. We encourage families to make a jar and you fill it with ideas. And when it's time for a break, whether you've got a break in your schedule that you've scheduled in, or you can tell kids need a break, they can pull from the jar. And the excitement of a new idea often is enough to get kids really easily engaged. And each idea just uses things from around the house or outside to move it. our bodies and play because we do need to remember to build those breaks in. So that's another example. Yeah, I think that's I think that's really good, and we we need to look at their their cues as well, right? Like when they're getting extra fidgety and stuff like like let's just go let's go run around, let's go get our wiggles out, let's go you know do some stuff, and 
Um, you just mentioned that you send these tips and tools um, to to people, and so you do have a mailing list. If people yeah, want if you are on our right? mailing list, you'll yeah. automatically receive our play breaks each week, and we have them for different age groups, so you can awesome. bring in. And if you have different ages of children, you know, lots of ideas. But those kind of fun, easy little moments that are designed to make sure we're balancing bodies and sparking ideas and giving space for fun and and movement, I think is a really big in time outside. Yeah, so I wanna know um, what your thoughts are about, um, you know, if if we have our kids at home with us and you're, you know, as, a, as, a, as an educator um, in so many different areas, you know, that you've, you've worked in, how do you feel about you know, our kids are at home, they're learning, and we feel like we need to reinvent or recreate the classroom environment yeah. uh, for our kids. That uh, So let me just say, what I see is parents spinning out Absolutely. because they are so worried that their kids are not going to keep up um, and it is, it, it, and, and they want to uh, make sure that they're staying, you know, above, you know, or at the level that they should be. And I'm using air quotes for should. Um, mm -hmm. And, and really what they're doing is they're hurting their relationship with their kids because their kids don't want to do it or whatever. Yeah. And, um, and it's, 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 it's causing a lot of friction, anxiety, so what do you say about that? Um, it, it, do we put as much focus on school if we're doing it at home? H how, do we, how do we find a balance between yeah. feeling okay with what we're teaching, even though we know that that's not what the, the quality of education they would be getting at school? Yeah. Well, I think there can be, can be really helpful to think about schooling and educating as different things. And okay. schooling is a word that really has to do with group learning in a setting with someone who's been trained and has been given all the resources required to lead a group through a set of curriculum and learning experiences. And that's what school is. And school's you know, wonderful for what it is, but when children are at home with you, so many of the things that just defined what school is are not in place and they shouldn't be because they're home. So if you think about how do I want to educate my child, I'm not going to school them because I'm not a school. One, you're a parent. And even as a career educator, that very relationship is fundamentally different. I, I can teach <laughs> other children and it's easier than teaching my own children in some ways because I'm their mom. Yeah. And so being the mom already makes you just this extra special teacher, very powerful but not the same as a classroom teacher. So expecting yourself, and for most people, they don't have the training. I happen to, but I can tell you it's still not the same because I am a mom That's and they're my children. Yeah. There's some actually great articles. There's one in the New York Times recently that's like, parents really make terrible teachers for their kids and here's why. Just to give us all, it's okay, right? Um, so there's that piece of the relationship, but there's also the piece that one, you weren't trained and you don't have the benefit of a group of peers at the same age to bounce off each other, to do so many of the things that you do when you're in a classroom. So one of the biggest things is letting go that you need to recreate the school experience because you're not, you're educating and then lean into what you are the best person in the world to teach them. Um, you now are around them 
for hours. And I will tell you, I love school. I was a principal as a teacher, but there's a decent amount of time in that day that gets spent on things that aren't really teaching, you know? Yeah. So, and part yeah. of that's learning to be part of a group and learning to be part of a community and all that's good. And they'll learn plenty of that, but they're learning to be a person with you in really beautiful ways. Um, mm -hmm. And so part of that is when you are with them, one of the things on our making a schedule is to have a meal together if you can. And I've reorganized my schedule to have lunch with our kids every day. And it's game changing. We get to have lunch with our kids every day. Like we weren't doing that before. So look for the moments of the day where you can connect with them. And it doesn't have to be all day. Go for a walk at the end of the day, show interest in what they're interested in, um, read with them in the evenings or during the day and just take a block and do that. And that alone, that ability to read with you, whether they can read to you, you're reading to them, you're nailing literacy in a way that's very mm -hmm. meaningful to them because it's time with you. So that, that lesson, whatever it is, is about, you know, is multiples more meaningful than it would be with anyone else. So I think, yeah, thinking about those things and then really leaning heavily into play because kids learn naturally through play how to problem solve, how to be creative, how to, um, how to, how to, they learn basic STEM concepts. They learn how to communicate um, their ideas. There are so many skills that children are learning when they're involved in play. And the mm -hmm. more that we can help them to independently play, the more that they can be learning on their own. Um, and that's a lot of what we've spent our time since, since we've kind of pivoted is mm -hmm. really packaging up the learning that you would do by watching a Tinker Garden leader in a class and helping parents at home think about how to approach setting up their environment and their own role as, as someone who helps kids play independently and, and the kind of enriching play that we're talking about. Yeah. Well, what I, what I really like is that you're, you're really giving them the framework for, for their family to, to, to do this. Right. Cause I think we need help, right? We, Absolutely. this is not normal for us. So we need help. And like, how do I set up my day? What does my child actually really need during the day? Um, which is my next question for you. You know, you, you said, play breaks, you said independent play, you said, okay, look, if we want to nail literacy, sitting with your child and reading with them, either they're reading, you're reading, you've added also in a layer of connection, probably some affection, you yeah. know, uh, and that is all really important for your child's development and for your relationship with your child for a lifetime, right? Absolutely. This is, this is important stuff. It doesn't have to be you doing that all day long also. Yeah. It can be right, you because building in those blocks, kids will, especially if you can try to do them at the same time on a given day, then your child knows to come and rely on those doses of real quality attention with you. And there's actually wonderful research that kids don't need constant quality attention and they don't need quantity, they just need quality. So if they have the expectation that they're going to have lunch with, just saying it, like in our world, it's lunch with me, we go on a walk at the end of the day and we read at night. And yeah. so, and, and then we try our best to create lots of opportunities for play during the day and touching in, but those are the quality anchors in the day. And we know they're like coming. That. We know to look forward to them. We always have breakfast. We have a little circle time. Um, and we sing and talk about what the day is going to be and, you know, use different tools and different families will find different ways to show pictures of what the schedule is going to be depending on the age of the kids. But just whatever you can commit to, 
being able to show up for that with quality kids can kids can take those quality moments and then those can help them ride through the rest of the day mm-hmm. and know that and that's one of the things about being home if your kids are home with you and they're even if they're online and you're working or you're doing whatever you need to do you're still there and that's pretty massive yeah for kids. And I think we think about the trauma to them when at the same time, they're the safest emotionally they've ever been because they're they're like the center of their safety world is always around. So in a way you can kind of take a breath because some of what they need socially is just to make sure that they're safe and you are there. Even though the world is a bit scary, you are literally there um, for them in ways that they were not the case before. So it's, it's funny having my entire family home all the time. Uh, it makes me feel relaxed too. Yeah. Cause my happy place is when we're all together, but also when we're all together and safe, like that is a huge value for me. So yeah, I, I, I feel it too, for sure. So let's talk about, um, and, and by the way, I love that you just said quality time anchors. I love that idea like time that they can rely on. I really do love that. And I think, I think that's a question for everybody listening is where can you put those anchors in your day and yep. know that, look, even as a kid, I didn't need my parents all the time. I didn't want to be with my well, parents. My mother was not, I mean, my mother, I was loved, but she was doing her thing and I was out playing. Like that's yeah. the way it worked. So. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, yeah. and, uh, and, and, and the whole play piece, you kind of have nailed down, like, you know, play, and there's tons of resources um, that you have about how to play. Uh, and, and we'll talk about those in a minute, but, but tell me, you're, you're saying in your parents, uh, in your family playbook, that, that there are certain needs that kids have, yeah. right? What are those needs above and beyond just play breaks? Well, one set of needs that I think um, parents who've come through Tinker Garden have been really grateful to learn about are to think about your child's sensory system. So many of us learn about the five senses in kindergarten. It kind of stops there, right? You know, But there are, there are more senses than those five. Those five are very important. Um, yeah. and, but there are other senses that balance our body and help us be alert and aware in space. So two examples of those that really come into play for kids, both their behavior and their learning, their ability to learn. One's called the vestibular system and it's based in your inner ear. And basically it's activated when you change the position of your head. Mm-hmm. So kids who seek a lot of vestibular stimulation Um, just to be and everybody's system is different. So it's not good or bad. Everybody has a different sort of size sensory cup. Some fill up easily. Some need a lot of stimulation. Um, But you'll see it. You can see it in those children because they'll want to spin or invert or they'll want to do things that activate that inner ear. But we all need to activate that inner ear in order to actually turn on our brain for learning. So if you're seated all day and you're looking at a screen and that's your experience, your ear is never moving. Your head is really not changing position. So you will have either, you'll have an under-stimulated vestibular system. And that mm-hmm. generally means your brain is under-stimulated. Or if, you're, if you need high stimulation, you're, you're not getting what you need. Mm-hmm. Another sense is called the proprioceptive system. And it has to do with the muscles and joints in our body feeling pressure. We as humans need that in order to understand where we are in space. 
So that's your kid who's tapping or moving or rocking or trying to get that kind of stimulation. And we see that there are fidget spinners in classrooms everywhere. Yeah. That we didn't necessarily have, but kids aren't moving enough. Their recess is short. If it happens, you know, kids are not getting that, that sensory feedback that they need. So one thing that's been wonderful is hearing reports of since kids have been home, less of that kind of fidgety behavior because their day has been much more active. But once we go to screens and online learning, if there's no breaks, no opportunities to move our heads or get our muscles jump and, and push on things and, you know, really use our, use our, give our joints that, that feedback that they need, then kids will start to, they'll start to see it in kids' behavior um, and in kids' inability to attend to learning. And Mm -hmm. that's, that's their bodies crying out. So some of our play breaks every week have to do with getting the big muscles going and getting the head to move in ways that are really, kids don't even know they're doing it. But for example, snacks become a big part of the day. And so one thing we started doing is hiding snacks and giving clues that you need to, you know, look like a worm. So it's going to be low down today, or it's going to be high, look like a giraffe. Whatever it is, you know, like if we hit it in a giraffe mm-hmm. kind of place, we hit it in a worm kind of place because kids will then get up and down and crawl around and use their muscles, move their head um, in what's a natural break in the day. You know, so that's right. an easy way, no matter what you're doing, you can just do that in the morning and you're building in a play break that gives your kid's sensory system what it needs. So and and this is everybody. This is not just if you have sensory processing disorder. You this and I is need everybody. to do this. Yes, yeah. yes. It's our friends that have sensory challenges that are the canary in the coal mine. We can yes. see it for them, but it's happening for all of us. Yes. So yes. all the more need for, for learners who really have sensitive sensory systems. Or, and, and that processing um, mm-hmm. is, is it, we need to be using multiple senses or we don't get practice with processing and integrating them. So every mm-hmm. child needs to use multiple senses. Um, yeah, I think that's a really good message, a really strong yeah. message. Yeah, I like that a lot. You are currently listening to the Parenting Our Future podcast. I'm parent coach Robin McMahon. If you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with someone who you think might also need to hear this message. And please don't forget to subscribe. And I would be grateful if you gave me a five-star rating on iTunes. If you'd like to connect with me, all my details are in the show notes. And for a copy of my book, go to yellingcurebook.com. Now back to the show. So in addition to what you were just talking about with the body's needs, sensory needs, you mentioned screens, right? Can you elaborate mm-hmm. on screens a little bit more and, uh, and what that does to us? Absolutely. I just actually wrote a post because my oldest just turned 10 and I realized I got the iPhone right before she was born. So my experience with, and that's when I think screens really came on into my world in a significant way. And thinking about my thoughts as a parent and as an educator on the effect of screens. And it's a hard one because there are, there's research. We don't really know what the right dosage of screens are. Yeah, we get a pretty strong message that before 18 months, screens are not a good idea for the developing brain. And even 18 to 24 months, we really should be with them. And, yeah. But then from two on, what's the right amount and what's the right kind? And um, I've, I've done so much research on this and really thought about it both as a parent and an educator. And there are a couple of things that have been really helpful resources for me. One is um, Anya Kemenetz's The Art of Screen Time was such a helpful book. So I would definitely recommend that. 
because she took all of the research and laid it out for us. And really it, it's neither, oh, no worries, screen, unlimited screens or no screens at all. It's really an art and in the middle of yeah. figuring out how to build healthy screen habits for yourself and for kids and to think about your child and what your child needs. Um, and so really the things that come out of it are it, whatever screens you're going to bring in, bring in high quality content, you know, mm -hmm. interactive experiences and experiences that are designed for the age group. So look for organizations like Khan Academy Kids or, um, you know, thinking about anything in the uh, wide open school that Common Sense Media puts together are people who are designing media and apps for children and for the developing brain. Like they are doing it. Oh, so they're kind of already getting something that you know is going to be the best screen use for kids. Because screens are have wonderful things to offer. We just have to make sure that we're balancing yeah. the impact because they are designed to hypnotize our brains at the same time. So you just have to make sure that you're balancing. And then some really practical advice on how to think about balancing time on screen with time off screen and getting kids' bodies, like we were just talking about, some of the sensory input they need. If you're on a screen, you're just using your sight. There's many other senses that need to be used and you're holding your body in a really straight place. And if it's not interactive, it's very passive. None of that for very long is great for a child. So you can engage in a screen and then make sure that you're you know, you're not doing it for too long, that you're taking a break and doing something else to balance out your experience. So if you're just using really one sense, right? What does that do to the rest of your senses? Well, you're not getting the opportunity to develop them. So, I mean, when you think about a child's brain, a child's brain, especially in the first five, really 10 years of life is being designed through repeated use. Right. So you've got all you've got all the neurons you're born with when you're born, but the pathways and the connections between them form through experience and they become stronger through repeated experience. So if you're not using a sense, it's underdeveloping really. And in addition to that, part of the brain that is so critical to learning, because we take in all the information in the world, we take in through our senses, right? Um and we balance, our, we balance our bodies by integrating the information from multiple senses. So your body's designed to wanna see the danger, hear the danger, smell the danger, bring right. all that together, right? Or the opportunity or, you know, we're designed to want to pull in information from all of our senses. So there's a part of our brain designed just to learn to integrate different sensory information together and make sense of it. Mm -hmm. And if you're only using one sense, that part of your brain's not developing either in that capacity. And that actually leads to higher level thinking later, being able to integrate different information. And so it's, it really actually has tremendous impact to narrow the senses to one sense. It's, it's, a, it's really not good um, for kids. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's really good information. And, and I haven't heard it quite that way, uh, but it makes a lot of sense. And so we've got to just know that and notice that and be aware mm -hmm. of it so that we have that balance. Mm -hmm. Right. And we put, yep. and we just focus on play and independent play, uh, which you're really an expert at. Um, and, you know, I, I was watching a couple of your videos beforehand and, you know, the things that you say about independent play, that you've got some kind of rules, right? Um, that you have 
everything in reach for kids, like yeah. setting up like a like a garden out or sorry, a kitchen and outside kitchen. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you're like, just let your kids get dirty. Let stuff get dirty. Like if you're giving them pots and pans to play with, don't worry about them getting dirty or maybe even broken. Like, let's just let go of that stuff. Don't overmanage the play um, because there's no right or wrong way to play. Right. Yeah. And, and you're talking about using inexpensive, open-ended stuff to yeah, just yeah. play. And, and we were talking about this and I was actually thinking about this the other day. I remember making mud pies as a kid. Mm-hmm. Like nobody, who does that now? Like, do we do that now? I don't right. even know. Right. But you have sort of some areas that you really love, like outdoor kitchen, a water. Uh, what, what are the other areas that you do? Well, we did a series. We have already released three videos in a series that will continue to develop. Um, and we called it actually independent play training. So there's sort of sleep training, there's potty training, oh. but we all need independent. Not that our children actually need it. They're wired to know how to play independently. But as a family, how do you build the habit of kids playing independently? And for our family, they have a number of the skills, but when we're here, we're quite intriguing. Or, you know, we'd end up being called on to entertain or what am I going to do? I'm bored. You know, and that whole world is, it's really about building that independent play muscle. And underneath it all is the belief that when children lead their own play, when they make the decisions, when they enter in and they're motivated through, and it's really their experience that they'll get the most benefit. Plus we'll get time back (laughs) because we are, we all have things that we have to do. So that's the goal. And so there are three part series. The first of which is really kind of a lot of what you're talking about, which is setting up spaces. So if you designate what we call, what play practitioners call play centers, and we gave three examples, a mud kitchen, a water playground, and an art center, and just taking a corner of your house and setting it up and calling it a center and saying, kids, this is your domain to play. And so an art center would have all the, all sorts of art materials, like loose parts, paper, pens, paint like and you can make a mess so a lot of people love to build that outside or even build a little box that can go outside because outside's a great place to have a mess or a yeah. mud kitchen where you can pretend cook up uh, concoctions of all kinds using what's outside just setting up those spaces can lead to hours and hours and hours and weeks of play that kids start and can just continue on their own mm-hmm. after that there's a video two looks at how to give invitations. So just the fact that you're, how you, um, how you present options to kids that might keep them playing and get them into spark new ideas. So how do you do that as a parent? How do you spark ideas? Because that's a very powerful thing that we can do without taking over the direction of it and letting kids stay in the lead, but giving them really enticing invitations. And that's what we develop at Tinker Garden. So all of our content for parents are really feeding up the invitations for you. So you don't have to think of the ideas because we're all exhausted, but yeah. use what you've got. Here's an invitation for kids that they will t- can take and run with. And then the third one is about what role to play to support once they're going, what do we do? And there's a wonderful concept of being a stage manager. And this is actually a video we're going to release in the next few days, but it'll be out by the time this, this airs, but really taking some lessons from the theater not being the director, but let your lead actor do their thing and just be in the background, you know, putting the right prop in the right place or waiting for the call, you know, knowing that obviously they need us sometimes, but they're, it's their show. And so how, what are some practical ways 
to use that metaphor to help you actually keep them independent. Um, uh, so, that's so great. I love that. I love that. And, uh, and uh, yeah, your videos are phenomenal and they're fun you. to watch too. So yeah, that's great. Now, um, let's just talk about one last thing. And that sure. is about, um, the social part that is, is, is a really big deal, yeah. uh, when we're at home with our kids and, um, and, and I know that kids are struggling without that social piece, especially if we've got parents that are really freaked out and really scared. And, and look, yeah. I, there's, you know, that makes sense, right? Absolutely. It is scary. And some, some parents have very good reason for being extra cautious. I, I have a client whose child uh, had bacterial meningitis when he was a, a baby. And so she has to be extra careful because every cold he gets turns into a chest infection. I think immunocompromised children, especially it's very, it's terrifying. Or if we have elders in our lives who are in risk categories and, you know, I have a dear friend who's caring for her parents and they are both in risk, high risk groups and yeah. needs to be able to be mom and have kids have an experience, but yet also make sure that there's no threat to them. So we're all in a, you know, in a, in a, a state of real discomfort and nervousness, but kids do need to connect with others. Um, and there are some ways that we can use technology to do that, but there's also so much value in being together and being able to play with others. So being able to play with our elders, special experiences with grandparents, and then special experiences with other friends. So we have a whole part of our playbook, but also our website um, that helps people think about how to help young kids play safely. So first idea is definitely be outdoors because the chances of transmittal are so much lower and it's right. just a safer environment. Um, and also to the extent that you can help your children make friends with masks because masks really do help cut down the transmittal. I know there are lots of feelings about masks in different places, but our experience having consulted and worked and and um, taught children, they're really fun ways that are very kid friendly to play and to introduce masks gradually so kids feel really comfortable with them. And they're so adaptable children that they'll they'll get used to whatever is going on as long as we frame it in a comfortable way and give them mm -hmm. lots of time to get used to it. They're um, more resilient than we are, let's be they're honest. They're so much more resilient than we are. They're great <laughs> teachers in this regard. I have a great blog post about parenting for the real, not the ideal. And I tell a story Ooh, I like about that. my daughter who um, had a club foot as a baby and got to nine months and the treatment hadn't worked. So she had to get two booties and bars and 11 hours a day, she was wearing these her feet were connected with the bar and she was such an active crawler. I came home so upset that this was just so awful for her. And I mean, within two hours, she was crawling around, figured out how to do everything with that bar on. I mean, they're just amazing. And it was such they a good are. lesson. To me. And to me, what if I had not given her that, you know, that treatment, she's now a runner. It's just, you know, so all of these things, but it's hard in the moment. Oh, so yeah. you can help kids make friends with masks that gives a nice, comfort and barrier. And then there's lots of fun ways to help them learn to play safely at a distance with each other, even little ones. Um, we can talk about our personal bubbles. There are games you can play with six feet of string. And in Tinker Garden, we even um, learned about lobsters. So what lobsters have to do with safety, you might be wondering, but lobsters are an animal that actually moves backwards faster than they move forwards. It's like okay. the only animal we can find. 
But if you can learn about lobsters and you can play like waddling backwards as lobsters and make that really fun, once kids get used to that, you can be in a play date situation, just even use your lobster claws at your child without saying a word, mm. they'll move backwards. Because oh, it's just a cool. reminder to move a little bit back to keep our bubble, but it's not shaming, it's not scaring, yes. it's not about a heavy thing. It's just a, it's a, it's a device. There's so many fun ways to help kids have, you know, to be there and to help them keep their distance, but still play with their friends. So yeah. yeah. And we don't want to scare them unnecessarily, right? We don't want to shame them because I know we're like, get back, get back. You're too close, right? Let's not do that. Well, they're just being natural. I mean, kids are meant to connect to each other. So, but they're also meant to love and care for them, each other in their community. So if we can help them see that this is how we're loving and caring for each other right now, Kids can actually make sense of that. They just don't have the impulse control that we do. So they just need a lot of reminders. So as long as you can be there and you have your little tools, whether it's lobster walks or reminders or keep your bubble, whatever it is, you can just gentle reminders and kids will, kids will do it. They will do it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And remember they need reminders. Don't now start telling yourself about my kid doesn't listen or you know yeah. he's just doing this to make me crazy or she just won't listen it's not look they just need reminders they do not have a fully grown brain they need yes. reminders and it's our job to guide them and if that means extra reminders it doesn't show that they're obstinate or no. uh, misbehaving it just shows that they need your help and that's it's it. exactly that repetition that they need and that's yes. what their yes. brain is right now Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, this has been absolutely a wonderful discussion. Thank you for your expertise and your knowledge. Uh, you can find everything on tinkergarden.com. Absolutely. The free, the free family playbook. Hello. Yes. Everybody needs that. I'm going to put the link uh, to, to this and some of your videos in the show notes. So you have to go no further than the show notes here um, and, uh, and, and, and take in uh, all of the resources that you have. Thank you for providing this service, for doing this for us parents who need the extra help right now. We do. So thank you very much. You're so welcome. Well, it's joyful work and I'm right in there with you. I need every bit of help I can get. So I think it comes from a very personal place and and so enjoy talking with you, Robin. I'd love to do this again. It's been so much fun. Yeah, I would too. Thank you so much. Great, you're welcome. Thank you for listening to this edition of my podcast, Parenting Our Future. I'm parent coach Robin McMahon. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with someone who you think might also need to hear this message. And don't forget to subscribe. And if you like my work, I'd be grateful if you gave me a five-star rating. For those of you who like my content and want more, visit me at yellingcurebook.com to get your copy of my book and to find other resources to help you. Until next time, I am wishing you and your family peace and connection.